Hello, and welcome to the first installment of Soccer Pines of 2023. This is your one-stop shop for all things American soccer, and I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pines is an American soccer podcast where we cover everything we can about U.S. soccer, Americans in Europe, Major League Soccer, and many other exciting topics. From time to time, I will be joined by guest hosts, as well as conduct interviews with some of the biggest influencers in American soccer. In addition, each episode, we will be featuring beer from some of the best breweries across the land while we discuss these topics. So while you listen in, grab a pint yourself while we break down the American soccer scene and, as always, support your local brewers. Well, Happy New Year to everyone. While the U.S. men's national team may have ended 2022 with a loss to the Netherlands in the World Cup round of 16, there hasn't been a lack of activity amongst the program and players. And with the end of the year, came the end of Greg Berhalter's contract as manager of the team. However, the drama that has surrounded this team doesn't stop there, with a lot happening in the news just this week. So, today, we will be diving into the whole Greg situation in more detail, we'll talk about some player development since the return of the European League seasons, and we'll spend some time looking into what we can expect for our upcoming friendlies later this month. As always, I will answer a couple of questions that have come in and we'll wrap things up with my final thoughts of the week. But before we get into all of the drama surrounding our U.S. men's soccer team, I have an incredible beer feature to start the year off, definitely amongst the upper echelons of any beer out there, and that's a heady topper from the Alchemist based out of Waterbury, Vermont. This is a double IPA, 8% in alcohol. It is unpasteurized and unfiltered, which gives it a hazy look and a full-bodied mouthfeel. It combines a bitter bite with bright, fruity notes as well. It just has a really smooth citrus crispness to it with an overall dank flavor. Now, most of the time, I pour beers into my pint glass, but the Heady Topper instructs you to drink right out of the can, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, finding the Heady Topper is a battle unless you are in Vermont, but if you can find it, grab as many as possible, drink them fresh, and share with others. When we talk about unicorn beers, this is what we talk about. So, thank you to The Alchemist for being a beer feature this week. I truly could not have started the year off with a better beer. All right, well, let's jump straight into the first topic. It's one that has been met with a lot of confusion, uncertainty, dramatic effect, excitement for some, you name it. It's just come out of nowhere. Earlier this week, Greg Berhalter released a statement letting the public know that during the World Cup, an individual contacted U.S. soccer saying that they had information that would take him down. He went on to say that it was an apparent effort to leverage something very personal from long ago to bring about the end of his relationship with U.S. soccer. Greg, along with his wife, decided to come forward to share the truth about the situation. Now, I'll be the first to say, he didn't have to do this. In fact, it's none of our business, truly. But since he did come public with it, we're going to talk about it. Back in 1991, Greg met Rosalind, his now wife. He had just turned 18 and was a freshman in college. They had been together for about four months when they were out drinking at a bar and had a heated argument that then continued as they left the bar. Once outside, it became physical and Greg kicked her in the legs. Greg mentions there are zero excuses for his actions that night and that it was a shameful moment and one that he regrets to this day. It seems that at the time, Rosalind wanted nothing more to do with Greg, and Greg took full responsibility for his actions, even voluntarily seeking out counseling, despite authorities never being involved with the situation. 
Greg says about seven months later, Rosalind reached out to him to speak, and they decided to rebuild their relationship. They have now just celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. They have four kids together and have had a very loving, supportive, and devoted relationship. Greg said he shared this story because what happened 31 years ago doesn't define him. It helps shape him into the person he is today. He says as a team, they emphasize accountability, honesty, and growth. He makes a point to say people can learn from their mistakes and can also be forgiven for these mistakes, which his wife has done. He wraps up his statement with saying that he has fully cooperated with U.S. soccer in their investigation into this matter. And while he prefers not to speak about something so personal from so long ago, he's embracing this opportunity to share it. Now, immediately after that statement is released, U.S. Soccer releases its own statement, saying that upon learning of the allegation against Greg on December 11, 2022, they immediately hired Alston and Bird to conduct an independent investigation into the matter. They went on to say that throughout this process, U.S. Soccer has learned about potential inappropriate behavior towards multiple members of their staff by individuals outside of the organization and that they have expanded their investigation into those allegations as well. To wrap up their statement, U.S. Soccer says that last month they launched a full technical review of the U.S. men's soccer program, and with the review and investigation ongoing, U.S. Soccer will announce who will lead the January men's national team camp in the coming days, and that they look forward to building off of their performance in Qatar and prepare for the journey towards 2026. So this is done on Tuesday. So a lot to unpack there. Definitely not what I was expecting to come from U.S. soccer, and it definitely makes a lot more sense why they've been so quiet since the end of the World Cup regarding Greg's status as head coach. Now, again, for those of you who happen to be unaware, I am not a fan of Greg Berhalter staying on as the national team coach, nor was I a big supporter of his leading up to the World Cup. However, as I mentioned earlier, this situation that happened with his wife 31 years ago is truly none of our business. That is a personal and private matter. It seems like they've worked through it clearly and have grown a strong bond and raised a family and, and more over the past 30 years of this relationship. It should have no impact on whether or not he should stay on as the national team coach. Now, I'll say that with a grain of salt. With that being said, his contract expired on December 31st, 2022. He should not be given a new contract. I've said it before and I'll say it again. He is not the right fit for this current group of players. And he's not going to help elevate them to where they need to go. We need a new vision. We need new tactics. We need a new manager. Regardless of this situation, the investigation, who was involved with bringing the information to U.S. soccer, it is just unnecessary drama and should not impact their decision making. Now, the biggest question mark coming out from Tuesday, where a lot of speculation had been when the news broke, who brought this up to Greg in U.S. soccer and why did they feel they needed to do it? According to Greg and his wife, they only told their parents, family, and friends what had happened. No law enforcement was involved. No police report ever written. Essentially, it was and still should be a personal matter. The rumors that swirled initially in the U.S. soccer media world is that it was the Reyna family. Greg and Claudio Reyna, Gio's, Gio Reyna's father, were youth and high school teammates, close friends, and teammates on the national team. Greg's wife, Rosalind, and Claudio's wife were college teammates and roommates at North Carolina. Greg decided not to play Geo much during the World Cup and almost sent him home. 
There are a lot of dots that connect there. Could this have been an attempt to take Greg down to ensure that he wouldn't stay on as head coach and allow Gio more opportunities? I really had hoped not. However, on Wednesday afternoon, a report confirmed that it was indeed Claudio Reyna's wife who sent multiple messages to U.S. soccer executives threatening to reveal sensitive details about Greg Greg Berhalter's past. And with that report, the entire fan base's collective draws dropped to the floor. Now, another tidbit of information here. Greg is Gio Reyna's godfather. Put that one into perspective for me. How in the world does this happen? I can't fully begin to comprehend how one does this to another one. No matter how close of a relationship is or how hurt someone makes you feel, this is a line you never cross. And I am extremely surprised that Claudio and his family decided to do this. Now, if you were paying attention as well, Greg spoke at a conference earlier in the month of December and basically threw out details that involved Gio and his behavior at the World Cup. And essentially, I think Claudio and his wife felt like it was tarnishing Gio's reputation. Nonetheless, there have been a lot of people outspoken about Greg and his preferences in players and his inability to adapt during matches or his lackluster coaching career. There's also the fact that he was hired by U.S. Soccer during a time when his brother was an executive, the COO, within the Federation. So the whole nepotism claims are there. There are a lot of storylines that we can throw in there to add to the pile of the Burhalter out crowd, but there's also a lot to be said for what he has accomplished since 2018. Bringing this young group together after the failed qualifying efforts of that cycle. But by absolutely no means necessary. Should anyone ever try to take someone else down based on a private personal matter from three decades ago? It just seems extremely odd to me and is an incredibly self-destructive move for the Reina family as well, seeing as Claudio is the sporting director for Austin FC of Major League Soccer. So, obviously more to come on this one, but for Greg, he remains out of contract, and U.S. Soccer has not ruled out bringing him back as head coach yet. All right, well, now that the World Cup is over and players have returned back to their club teams in Europe, there has been a lot of action amongst our player pool. The most interesting is that none of our players has transferred on to new clubs yet. I thought for sure we would see a bit of movement after performances in Qatar, but clubs seem much more reluctant to spend money in the January window than they do in the summer, which is understandable. However, in England, Christian Pulisic has been starting for Chelsea again, and while he hasn't scored, he's making his impact known as he continues to show he is more than capable to be a regular performer for the Blues. In fact, Yesterday, he started his third match. However, he was taken out in the 20th minute due to an injury. Hopefully, it's not a serious one, but it didn't look great. Tyler Adams was suspended for his first match back with Leeds due to previous yellow cards, but he's returned to their starting lineup and alongside Brendan Aronson. And once again, Adams has proved he's an enforcer in the defensive midfield role. He looks like he is developing into a world-class number six, and he should be a highly sought-after player come summertime, especially after his performances in Qatar. Both Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson returned right back into their starting roles for Fulham and have reeled off consecutive wins to take Fulham into eighth place in the Premier League. 
Tim Ream even signed a contract extension after the World Cup that will keep him with Fulham through the 2024 campaign. He also scored his first ever Premier League goal as well. So the 35-year-old just doesn't stop with his achievements. Now, Chris Richards, who missed out on the World Cup through injury, has returned to Crystal Palace, but has remained on the bench so far. But it's still promising to see him back and dressed on the bench. In the English Championship, Josh Sargent continues to start for Norwich City, but he hasn't found the back of the net since his return. However, Norwich City has now hired David Wagner, who is a former U.S. soccer player uh, for our national team and is coached in the Bundesliga, in the Premier League, and this is a great opportunity for Josh to continue to grow with Norwich City this season. Austin Trusty continues to play the full 90 minutes for Birmingham City and also had an assist in their most recent match. He is going to be one to watch for 2023 with the senior squad. Another one to watch, Daryl DK, who missed out on the World Cup due to previous injuries. He's now fully returned to West Brom and is scoring goal after goal and looks like he wants to claim the starting nine role for the U.S. And if he keeps it up, I don't see anyone stopping him from taking that job. In Spain, Yunus Musa continues to be a regular for Valencia, and Luca de la Torre is seeing more minutes with Celta Vigo, which is really encouraging for his future. In Italy, Serginho Dest nearly scored his first goal for AC Milan, and Weston McKinney has been in the news more for a potential move away from Juventus with Aston Villa and Burnmouth in the Premier League looking like potential suitors. Over in Scotland, Malik Tillman netted his fourth goal of the season for Rangers, and Cameron Carter-Vickers remains a stalwart in the Celtic defense as well. And finally, in Turkey, Haji Wright scored his 10th goal of the season in his return to club play. And while these updates don't include everyone, nor allude to anything specific with regards to moving clubs, it's just great to see the continued progress in our own development after a very tiring World Cup. There is a lot of promise with our current crop of players, but I promise you, There are even more names coming through the youth systems that are going to take over certain spots and create even stronger depth moving forward. And with MLS preseason beginning this week, there will be a lot of action for American soccer to start taking notice on. And with that being said, it leads me into my final topic today, our upcoming January friendlies. We just talked about player developments. We just talked about the Greg situation. What wasn't brought up is that U.S. soccer named an interim head coach. Anthony Hudson is going to lead our January camp while they continue their review with hiring a new permanent head coach, or simply, they might just be biding their time until they rehire Greg. So who is Anthony Hudson, you ask? Well, he's been an assistant of Greg's for the past year or so after managing our under-20 national team in 2020. Prior to this, he had a stint as the Colorado Rapids head coach where he was fired after winning eight games, drawing nine, and losing 26. Not exactly a ringing endorsement for somebody you want leading your national team, but I digress. Despite his shortcomings in MLS, he did manage the New Zealand and Bahrain national team programs for a few years as well. And on a personal front, Hudson also was a player coach for the Wellington Hammerheads from around 2005 to 2008, so I have met and played with and against him before, although this was a very long time ago. Whatever your feelings are about this appointment, it is nothing more than temporary. This January camp is traditionally known as Camp Cupcake because there will not be any regulars involved. This is a camp that has historically been about bringing in Major League Soccer players. 
some youth national teamers who get a look at the senior level and get to brush the dust off given their MLS seasons have yet to begin. So who might be involved for the friendlies, which will be against Serbia on January 25th and Colombia on January 28th? It is truly and nearly impossible to speculate on this roster right now, even being two to three weeks away from the announcement. But knowing that there will not be any regular European players called in, it's safe to assume we will see a lot of faces from MLS. So let's just give it a guess. And I'm not going to guess the entire squad or how many might be called in because I truly have no idea how many people will attend Camp Cupcake. But I want to throw out a few names for awareness and give my best guesstimate. In the goalkeeping position, I think we may see a veteran presence in Sean Johnson, who remains a free agent currently, so that could be something to watch for. If he moves to a new club and needs time to get acclimated, he probably won't be included, but I'm going to include him for now. I think we also see Cincinnati FC goalkeeper Roman Celitano, who had a great rookie season after attending Indiana University. And I think third, we're going to see somebody like JT Marcinkowski from San Jose Earthquakes, maybe even Chris Brady from the Chicago Fire, who is a popular name within the U.S. youth national team programs. In the defense, I think we see someone at right back that we saw at the World Cup in Shaq Moore from Nashville. And to back him up, don't be surprised to see somebody like Brooks Lennon from Atlanta United. Centrally, Be on the lookout for the potential return of Miles Robinson, if for anything to be around the squad while he recovers from his Achilles tear last year. But if he isn't healthy, though, you might see some younger faces, as I don't expect to see somebody like Walker Zimmerman included, only to allow another new faces or other new faces to get acclimated into the squad. Maybe you bring in Aaron Long, who just completed a transfer to LAFC as a veteran defensive presence. Henry Kessler from New England Revolution may get called up at 24 years old, and he's been around the squad before in the Gold Cup. A name most won't have heard but certainly deserves a call-up is Joshua Winder, Winder, a 17-year-old from Louisville City in the USL. Now, I've heard that he's going on trial to Benfica over in Portugal, so if he's doing that, I'm not sure he gets called in, but he is certainly playing well above his age and seems likely to get a look. I highly doubt someone like Matt Miazga gets called back in despite deserving a chance, but I think a final defensive spot goes to a a U-20 regular and a Philadelphia Union player in Brandon Craig. At left back, we have a couple of MLS options. Dewan Jones from New England Revolution deserves a call-up, as does John Tolkien from the New York Red Bulls. Maybe somebody like Caleb Wiley from Atlanta United gets called in too. In the midfield, I think you see Kellen Acosta come in as that steady veteran presence, along with somebody like Eric Williamson, who looked to be well on his way into a depth role within the national team before an ACL injury. I think we also see Paxton Pomkel come back from FC Dallas, Keaton Parks of New York City FC, and yes, Christian Roldan of Seattle as well. Another new name is Aiden Morris of Columbus Crew, who could receive his first call-up. Up top, we will see some new faces for sure with Brandon Vasquez from Cincinnati and Jeremy Ibobisi of San Jose, both deserving their call-ups to try to impress. I also think Kate Cowell, also of San Jose, should be given a shot. I also think Jesus Ferreira has to be called in as well. He may not have impressed at the World Cup, but this might give him an opportunity to play his more natural role rather than a true number nine striker. Maybe Paul Ariola returns to the fold. Maybe Jordan Morris comes back in. I think overall, We're going to see a lot of new faces, 
we'll see some familiar MLS names and maybe a couple of new names or dual nationals to get them exposure to our setup. But definitely, despite all of the drama within the U.S. soccer system, it does give us something to look forward to, even if it means absolutely nothing. All right, let's hop right into the questions today. And first up, who is going to be the next coach for the national team? This is the biggest question facing U.S. soccer right now. Well, maybe not, given the whole investigation into Greg's past and the reign of family and all of the other internal issues within U.S. soccer, but I digress again. Anthony Hudson is simply being given the interim tag because he is currently under contract as an assistant. He has managed the under-20 team before, and he will just been on the bench in Qatar. So it's a seamless stopgap manager for the purpose of this January camp and the friendlies ahead. He is not going to be the long-term manager, nor should he be. What U.S. soccer needs to do at this point is completely tear down their current org chart. That means Ernie Stewart needs to step away from his role as sporting director. Brian McBride needs to step away from his role as general manager. And finally, we need to completely eliminate Greg as a candidate to rehire as our head coach. The U.S. Soccer Federation has become a country club of sorts for former players, friends, family members, and more to do as they wish in their own best interests. And it has completely handicapped the ability of U.S. soccer to move forward. Ernie, Brian, and Greg all played together. Brian is the general manager of U.S. soccer without any general manager experience or coaching experience before taking the job. Ernie hired him. Ernie had been involved as a technical director for a couple of club teams in the Netherlands before moving to the Philadelphia Union in 2015 to become their sporting director. He was then hired by U.S. Soccer in 2018 as the general manager before becoming sporting director in 2019. Greg, as I have tirelessly mentioned in the past, was an average MLS coach who failed as a manager in Europe before being hired as the U.S. national team coach, which happened while his brother was the COO of U.S. Soccer, ironically. There was even more within U.S. Soccer's hierarchy, like Don Garber, Major League Soccer's CEO and president being on the executive board of U.S. Soccer, which in itself is a conflict of interest to be a stakeholder while promoting your own league and players. There's just too much overlap to name and not enough qualified individuals without bias to run the federation appropriately. One thing is for certain, no matter what anyone within U.S. Soccer says, if Greg is rehired as the coach, Gio Reyna will not play a part with the squad, and probably other players will not either. It's just too toxic and too behind repair to move forward with. We need an outsider, someone not involved with U.S. soccer, someone from a foreign background, someone with experiencing managing at the top level, someone not afraid to work with a horribly run federation at the moment. We need someone better. It's as simple as that. If U.S. soccer is okay with mediocrity, then rehire Greg. If U.S. soccer is okay with losing one of the best players and potentially others in the program, then rehire Greg. If U.S. soccer is okay with accepting the fact that we will never be taken seriously with the rest of the world, then rehire Greg. I'm not okay with mediocrity, but changes need to happen all over the place before anyone of the caliber that we hope to attract will ever want to accept this job. Right now, I'm not sure anyone can be successful in this job. All right, the other question for this week. Do you plan to cover the U.S. women's national team in their run-up to the World Cup? 
Like I have said from the get-go, I'm going to be transparent and genuine with everything that I do here. I will be covering American soccer, some more than others, obviously. And yes, I will cover some of the U.S. women's team in their quest for the World Cup. That will definitely happen, but not as extensively as I do with the U.S. men. I just don't know enough about them. And I'm happy to talk more about them if people want to know more, but I would need to bring in a guest to help with that. So if you're looking for more information about the U.S. women's team, let me know, and I will try to find some other resources, but I'll definitely be watching them. All right, on to the final thoughts of the week, and I'll keep it brief since I have given a lot of thoughts out there already today. First up, Pepe was interviewed this week, Ricardo Pepe, about his reaction to Greg calling him to let him know that he was not on the World Cup roster. He stated that when Greg told him that he didn't make it, he just hung up the phone on him. He said he was in such disbelief that he just hit end and sat there for five minutes trying to mentally prepare himself that he wouldn't play a part in the squad. He called his manager he called or his agent. He called his father, and they both didn't even understand or, or think that, that it was real. They thought it was playing a joke. So Pepe never found out why he didn't make it. I can only imagine that phone call and the pain that he felt. But just the thought, I thought it was pretty telling that he hung up on Greg and didn't call back. Next up, keeping up with the Greg trend here, he spoke at a Harvard Business Review on Thursday or yesterday and came out with a very strong statement. He wants to continue as U.S. men's national team coach, so it is no longer in doubt. He wants to return. He said he's saddened by these events, but he wants to achieve more as the coach and take this team further in 2026. And I think with this one, considering all of the statements made this week, seeing Greg's statement be released, and then U.S. Soccer immediately releasing their statement, it seems like they are very still, still very much working in conjunction together. This is just never going to end. Final thought this week. Earlier this week, we had to say goodbye to arguably the best player that ever lived with Pele passing away at 82 years old. Pele had been battling numerous illnesses in recent years, but he leaves behind such a legacy. And although I never had the chance to see him play, watching old footage of him and seeing the impact he made on U.S. soccer in the 70s, 80s, and 90s and beyond was just incredible. A true legend in the game. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Please continue to share Soccer Pints with others and follow Soccer Pints on Instagram and Twitter. Special thanks again to The Alchemist for letting me feature you this week. I know a lot of the talk around this U.S. soccer program is negative right now. There's a lot of drama. Just an absolute mess, it seems. But it's not all doom and gloom. We will get through it. There will be positives again soon. And the program will continue to be made. We just need to get better. We need to be smart. And we need to do the right things. So until next time, cheers, my friends.